Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, uh, the church is weird, just like uh, there, are, there are weird people in their weird cities. Uh, Portland here in the Northwest, Portland, Oregon, prides itself at being weird and says we are going to do whatever it takes to keep the kind of weird that we are. They were copying after Austin, Texas. Austin's a different kind of weird. Austin uh, is, you know, the home of Willie Nelson. It's that kind of weird, okay? And so Austin decided they were going to stay weird. Portland decided they'd stay weird. Missoula, Montana is a weird place. I have been there. Weirder than any place in Montana, and they like it that way, so they're going to stay weird. You can find your, your Keep Missoula Weird bumper stickers if you stop at virtually any truck stop over there. But the church is weird, too. There are just some things about the church that are unlike anything else in the culture, and at first, they don't seem to fit well with just being a thinking human being. Hmm. I think as I look at the church and how it has changed some and stayed the same some over the course of my lifetime, there are probably some weird things about the church that it's time to change. And uh, we work on those as time goes by, and we, we probably are slower to change than we ought to be on some of the things that really aren't so important. And, and then we've probably forgotten how important some things are and ran off and changed them without, without sufficient thought. But there are some things that are essential weirdness to the church, and it's important that we keep the church weird, but that we remind ourselves of why we do the weird, the right kind of weird. If we don't remind ourselves, then we will forget why we are doing what we're doing, and we forgot to remind ourselves long enough that we have lost a generation or two, most of, a generation or two in the church in America because all they saw was the weird. We brought them up on the weird, but not the why. And because of that, they've shucked the weird, and that meant shucking the church. I think we also, because of some of the non-essential, some of the harmful weird that the church has been, we owe an explanation to the culture around us of why we do what we do and why we're not going to do some of the weird that we used to do, right? Well, in order to be able to give a meaningful and honest and humble answer to the world around us, we have to remind ourselves why it is that the church does the essentially weird things that we do. So we've talked over the course of this fall about why go to church, why can't you just watch some preacher on YouTube or TV and and that uh, be, be the real uh, key to spiritual growth for you. We've talked about when we get here, why do we do sermons? Why do we sing? Why, why the Lord's Supper? Uh, today, I want to talk with you about one of the sacraments. What's a sacrament? Sacrament means um, a special and guaranteed way of experiencing the grace of God. You guys experience God's grace in a whole lot of different ways. Some of you are, uh, are outdoors people, and so every time you get out there and you get a lungful of nice, clean air, if you were blind, just that lungful of nice, clean air, you would say, God is in this place, and I experience his love and his closeness, right? Some of you are sunset people. Some of you are sunrise people, and, and you make sure to schedule your day where you can take a peek at one of those, however it is that you're oriented there, because when you see the colors and when you feel the temperature changing and, and when you have that sense of a day that's just coming to life or one that's being laid to rest, somehow you and God, who may not have had a whole lot to do with one another over the intervening hours, bam, you connect one more time, and, and you experience his love and his goodness. 
Some of you experience the grace and the love of God through uh, close relationships with your family or your friends. Some of you through reading inspirational material. Some of you through sacred music. And, and there's, a, there's, there's literally an infinite number of ways that a person might experience the, the grace and the love of God. But my wife and I, who love each other so very much, are very different. I like to go to the mountains and, uh, and I experience God in, in numbers of ways out there. But Laura has a problem in the mountains because she doesn't like heights. I assure her that no matter where you go on the planet, you're still standing on the ground. So you're not that high. But, but uh, Laura and mountain roads, no likey. Plus, Laura has elevation sickness. And if we get her above 5,000 feet, she gets a headache. She gets nausea. She gets... Uh, horrible earaches and headaches, and she can't find God at all. She's talking to him, but she can't find God at all above 5,000 feet. And so this thing that really, really opens my heart up to experiencing God is a barrier in so many ways for Laura to experiencing his goodness. And so my means of grace and Laura's means of grace don't often work for each other. Wouldn't it be great if there were just one or two ways that every human on the planet could experience God's love and his grace. Well, Jesus, who helped create us, uh, helped design a couple of sacraments. And one of them is the Lord's Supper that we talked about a, uh, a week or two ago. And today I want to talk to you about the sacrament that, of baptism. Sacrament, a special and guaranteed way of experience God's grace and his love. And it's a weird thing. Because you, you participate in a handful of other ceremonies in your life. I mean, most Americans are, are shooting from the time they're little kids. They're shooting toward uh, one big ceremony long around the time that they're 18 years old-ish. About the, You're hoping to graduate from high school. And, and when you do all the hard work that it takes to graduate from high school, you or your mom um, are really hopeful that you're going to get to wear a goofy-looking gown, a flat hat that you're never sure where, if you've got it on right because... Um, how that goes, uh, and you'll get your picture taken, walking across the platform, shaking the hand of somebody you never, ever wanted to talk to and don't ever plan on talking to again, right? Some school administrator. You, you're aiming for this big ceremony in your life. We have, we have some folks in our midst who are uh, part of scouting culture. They, they like ceremonies too, and so they're, they're shooting toward, there's a number of award ceremonies throughout scouting culture, but they're really only aiming toward one. It's Eagle. Eagle is, is, is the whole enchilada, and they're looking for that time when, when the whole organization, Boy Scouts of America, says, you have reached the pinnacle of scouting in terms of achievement, and it's a big moment at an eagle court of honor. Most people also aim toward another ceremony, right? Sometime in your adult lifetime, most people hope to get married. And while we can fall in love and we can begin to form a relationship and, and patterns of behavior toward one another and, and get to know one another's families, there seems to be something special still to most of us about making that, uh, that relationship formal and, and permanent. And most of us don't just run down to one of the courts of law and say, please um, give me a piece of paper. Most of us look for a ceremony in which we get to experience the, the, the formality and the mystery of entering into that relationship formally. By the way, if you run down to the courthouse, they still make you go through a ceremony <laughs> because there's something uh, inherent to humanity that says the biggest moments in life 
should look like the biggest moments in life. Hmm. There's a ceremony, several, that the church uh, offers to its people. But in the church, we tend to do ceremonies repeatedly, right? We tend to do them and do them and do them. You don't get to graduate from high school and say, that was so much fun, I'm doing it again next year. You don't get to graduate from, from high school monthly, yearly, just once. Uh, Eagle, you are not going to Eagle Court of Honor and stand up here and get a uh, funny-looking bandana around your neck. You are not doing that more than once in this lifetime. It's in the church where we repeat the ceremonies. Why is it that the church is so into ceremony? That's probably a longer discussion for another day, but I want to talk to you about one of the ceremonies that we do repeat frequently. Um, It's kind of changed in the church. There are people these days who say, I would like to be baptized several times. I'm just going to tell you, I cut you off at two, okay? I accidentally baptized a person a third time. (laughs) It was so funny. Uh, We we had a a service in which I was preaching about baptism. We had some people who had prepared themselves to be baptized, and we had some folks who responded spontaneously to the message that day. And uh, this this woman that I had, had known for years and years came forward. She said, Pastor, I've never been baptized, and I want to be baptized today. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in him. And we baptized her, standing right down front. Uh, and her husband had come right down with her. Whole church family's gathered down there. And I baptized her, and her husband looks up to me with tears running down his face, and he said, Pastor, I'd like to be baptized too. I was caught up in the moment. I didn't ask that guy one single question. I just put the towel around his neck, and people laid hands on him. And uh, I baptized him through pouring in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And afterwards, he said it was beautiful. It was the third time, and it's the best of all. (laughs) I said, you are never going to find out how good it is to be baptized four times under my watch. Okay. But we repeat baptism, usually and ideally, not for any one individual, but the church baptizes and baptizes and baptizes and baptizes and baptizes. We want to do this again and again and again and again. And I want to take a few moments to share with you today uh, what, uh, two answers to two questions, okay? Because we can just say, why baptism? But that's a pretty big question. I think it's, it's really two smaller questions, uh, more pointed questions. One is, why does the church baptize? And the second is, why should you consider being baptized? It's a weird ceremony. We, uh, we aren't real specific about it. We'll take you right back there. The baptistry is full, by the way, today. For anybody who might be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and hear from him, the baptistry is full and ready. We will baptize you back there through a method that we call immersion, where we dunk you and raise you. We uh, also have, uh, where are we, Pastor Bill? Right over here. We also have, um, have a vase full of, a pitcher full of water and towels here if for Oh, health reasons you can't get in the water, mobility reasons you can't get in the water, if you have a fear of water and of people dunking you under. I've I lived a lot of my life there. Um, or if you just simply prefer this, and we will, we will honor your conscience about, about the way of doing it. The church says we're not going to be uber-specific about a- a- every little mechanical action in the thing, but we still encourage every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ to in faith, step into this drama that we do, this incredible ceremony, and to be baptized. Many of you, I've had the privilege of baptizing. It's, uh, I remember the first baptism service that we did here when I became your pastor eight years ago. It was Stephanie McCracken was the first person that I ever baptized here. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was beautiful. I've been, able, I've been fortunate to 
to baptize many of you, and I stand prepared to baptize today anyone who will profess faith in Jesus Christ and will come and ask to be baptized. Let me, let me help you understand why the church baptizes and why perhaps you should consider asking the church to be baptized. Question number one, why does the church baptize? Now, listen, I took, I took an entire semester class on baptism and the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to keep you that long today, okay? Promise not to. I'm just going to give you two reasons why the church baptizes. And the first is this. When you're, if you've been around church much, if you've been around this church much, you have heard me mention time and time and time and time again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. He says, I'm in charge of the church. Then he says, go into all the world and make disciples. And then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you. This great commission we really look at as the, 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 the birth of the church. When Jesus, who had gathered a few followers to him while he was on this planet, said, I am going to go away, but the gospel mission will not end. It is now in your hands, and it is now on your shoulders. You are to go into this world and make disciples for me. And because of the way the sentence is structured, he tells us that making disciples includes a couple of things. We, uh, three, we, we preach the good news of the gospel. We baptize those who say that they believe the gospel, and then we teach them to obey him. When Jesus gave us the great commission, go into the world, he gave us the commission to baptize. He did not leave it as an option or one of those things that you might add on to your faith if you are so inclined. Jesus commanded the church the, among the things that you do that constitute making disciples, necessary to the list is baptism. For us to be truly part of the church of Jesus Christ, we must continually offer the sacred privilege of being baptized to God's people. We, we, the church, baptize because Jesus commanded us to do it. We also baptize because whenever a person confesses faith in Jesus, we read elsewhere in the New Testament that a mystical reality takes place in their life, a handful of them actually. Uh, when, when a person confesses faith in Jesus Christ, they find that their sins are forgiven. All that stuff that's plagued you about your conscience and your past, he says, I'm not going to concern myself with it any longer. When I see you, I'm not going to look at any of that. I'm just going to look at all of the love that we have between the two of us. And as Pastor Kaylee mentioned to us earlier, when that happens, there's another mystical reality that takes place. And that is, we get united not only with Jesus' death that provides the, the forgiveness of sins, we also get to be united with him in his resurrection from the dead, and we get a whole new kind of life that begins in this here and now, but actually is eternal and will keep our spirits and persons alive for all of eternity. Not even physical death can take that away from us. Another mystical reality that takes place when we confess faith in Jesus Christ is that we enter into a couple of sacred relationships. One is a, a dynamic, healthy, beautiful relationship with God, but it also immediately uh, initiates us into the family of God on this earth and the family of God that's been gathered into heaven. 
The church believes and proclaims that when a person confesses faith in Jesus Christ, that he or she becomes a part of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. Now listen to what I did not say. I did not say that when you confess faith in Jesus Christ, you become formally a member of the church of the Nazarene. That's, a, that's an entirely different thing. It's far less important than what I'm talking about today, so we are not going to sully this discussion with, with talk about formal membership. It's an important thing that we'll talk about later, just not nearly as important as what we're talking about today. But when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and God comes to live within you, your spirit and his spirit so married to one another, you can't, you can't separate them, you can't hardly tell each other apart anymore. When that happens, the, the follower of Jesus Christ becomes not just a follower of Christ, but a member of his family here on earth and in heaven. And I know how it goes at your house, just like it did it, it went just like it did at mine. Whenever you get a new family member, you stop, collaborate, and listen. You, thank you. Eight of you got that. That's great. You, you stop. You do collaborate. You put together some sort of celebration, some sort of party, and you make a big deal out of it because it is a joyful, incredible thing. I'm, I see the loopers sitting back there. We have celebrated the birth of children, and we've dedicated those children here. Um, just as I remember... Uh, baptizing Stephanie. I remember dedicating your kiddos. It's, it's been a fantastic joy. Many of you as well. When new people come into the family, there's a big celebration. We got a new Purcell this year. I did not say we're getting a new Purcell this year. Do, uh, we got a new Purcell. Her name is Rachel, and she married Noah. And so we, we loved having her as, as, as a part of our circle of love. But when we made her a part of the family, we stopped, and we had a great big ceremony we believe in the church of Jesus Christ that whenever we get a new member of the family, there is a great celebration in heaven and there should be some sort of formal recognition of, of the beauty and the importance of what has transpired. So when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are inducted into the family in, in a spiritual sense and we also want to induct you formally, publicly, recognizably into the family, the recognized family of God here on earth. And baptism is the way that the church says to the new believer, we recognize your faith. We see the same family resemblance in you that we see in us and in Jesus. Yep, you're one of us. We should celebrate that. You can think of it as a, as a baby shower or you can think of it as a wedding However you want to think about that, it's a new person in the family, and when we get new people in the family, we're going to celebrate it, right? That's among the reasons that the church baptizes. But maybe that's not enough reason for you to be baptized. I'm always um, a, a little bit surprised when I talk with people who have followed the Lord Jesus for years, and I find out that they, they've just never been baptized. When I ask why, uh, many of them tell me because... Nobody's ever explained it. Okay, so the pastors or teachers or parents somehow haven't communicated that very well. Okay, well, I'm here to help, help take care of that a little bit today. I have people who say, um, well, it's not necessary to salvation. And so um, they, they just kind of resist the, the, the church, how they feel, pushing them to do something that isn't necessary to salvation. Let me make this plain. Um, Anything that anybody tells you you have to do that is an action or it, or, or, or it will keep you out of heaven if you don't do it, 
um, you should ask more questions. You should just ask more questions. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say to us very plainly, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves. Not even the faith is from you. Not even the faith is your action. It not, and this, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. Not by something that you've done. So that nobody can boast about how they saved themselves. You are saved by God's grace, and you daring to believe in it. And let me add to, not a, not a but, but an and. Let me tell you what else God's word says. Let's take a look at a handful of things that he says in his word about, um, about salvation. First, uh, just an implication, okay? Not a command, not a direct statement or a doctrinal uh, truth, but just a, just an, an inference. Whenever we talk about being followers of Jesus, it, it, does it not seem self-evident that if Jesus did things, his followers should be of the same mind? Yeah. Well, uh, Jesus was baptized. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 tell the story, and it's told in, in the other Gospels too, of Jesus who had never sinned, but who was formally entering, registering with the world who he was, and, and entering into this time in his life when, when he was going to formally begin his ministry, he went to one of the prophets and said, you should baptize me. And the prophet said, uh, maybe we should do this the other way around because you don't need to be baptized and I'm a sinful person. And, and, and Jesus said, no, 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 listen. Me getting baptized is a righteous thing. It fulfills all righteousness for me to be baptized. Jesus himself submitted to this ceremony, this repeated celebration that the church does of recognizing faith, living, saving, birthing faith in people. Jesus himself was baptized. It seems if you're going to follow Jesus, um, you've got an example. But Jesus also gave us uh, some commands, and I'd like to take a look at those. Look at this next, uh, this next uh, screen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Luke, can we go to the next Next one, yeah. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I, I think that Jesus is probably mostly a nicer guy than me, but whenever I read this, I, there's this thing that just kind of pops into my mind, and it, it makes me ask the question, which part of follow me do we not understand? It means go where Jesus went. It means do what Jesus did. And Jesus himself offers first the holy example of, he said it's, it's, it's a righteous, right, good thing for him to be baptized. And then he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, you should go where I've gone. Jesus went through the waters of Christian baptism. But let's, uh, let's take a look at the next screen too, Luke. And it's that passage that, I've, um, that says Matthew 18. It's not. That's... Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now get this. And surely I'm with you in all of that. In your going, in your baptizing, in your teaching, you can count on the presence of Jesus with you. 
Jesus said, if you're going to be my followers, you've got to take up my, you got to do some things that may not seem fitting to you, may not uh, be real easily understood by you, may seem a little bit socially awkward, may mess your hair up in front of people, but you follow me. Okay, Jesus, where are we going? He said, we're going to get baptized. We're going to, to get discipled. And the necessary part of that is, uh, as he included on his list, baptism. Okay, so we've got, we've got the church has a couple of reasons why it baptizes, because Jesus commissioned the church to baptize. And we've got, got the church baptizing because we understand the mystical reality of becoming part of a family, the family of God, and that should be celebrated. But you need your reasons too. And your reasons can include Jesus' example. They can include Jesus' command. But I also think it's important for us to understand that while we're going through what seems like, because this is what we say in our culture, just a ritual, as though it now has no meaning because we threw the word just in front of it, just a ritual, that there is also something mystical or spiritual that you may not be able to test with any sort of scientific empiricism but it is no less real. There's a mystical reality that takes place in baptism. There is a death-to-life experience connected, not just with your faith, but with your obedience in baptism. Cliff, are you sure? I'm sure. Let's see where it's taught in the Scriptures. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, "...having been buried with him in baptism..." in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. How do you get the benefits of Jesus? Paul here says, your faith will ultimately take an action. The action itself will not save you. You're saved by grace, God's part, faith, you believing that he can actually get it done. And Paul teaches us that our faith then helps us to take an action that becomes the place where we connect with this mystical reality of what God has done. He puts to death the old part of us that was determined and bound over to do things that destroyed us. And he connects us with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to have a whole new kind of life in the here and now that carries us into and through all of eternity. He said, you were buried with him in baptism. You were raised with him as well. Do you recognize the need for some things in your life to be put to death, things you haven't been able to conquer? Have you been looking for some new kind of life, something in you that would finally come to life, that, that takes this faith from being just a bunch of stale old ideas to something that actually makes your heart pound and, and joy radiate from, from, from within you? You need the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in you, not just a set of ideas that sound good. The Apostle Paul taught us that you can enter into this mystical reality through a ceremony that the church offers to you, baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul writing to another church, the same basic idea, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith. In the, and I cut that off, I don't know why. 
um, buried with him in baptism. You go on to read Romans chapter 6, starting with, I'll uh, just start with verse 1, work, work through the first uh, 10 or so verses. He goes back to the issue of you are, you are connected with the, um, with the death of Jesus Christ and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he talks about it through baptism. A mystical experience, you can actually move from death to life in connection with God. And he says, meet me at the baptistry. I'll usher you into this mystical reality. Uh, there's another reason that you might want to consider being baptized, and, and it's described for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's flip to that screen, Luke. Uh, let, me, let me set the scene for you. A bunch, a bunch of Jewish people being really extra Jewish-y. Okay, there's this, there's a big, uh, what is it? It's a, it's a ritual, it's a ceremony, and the Jews do more of these than we do. But it was like their, their ultimate uber Jewish uh, time of year when they had just done this whole big uh, Passover kind of thing and where there's going to be a sacrifice of a lamb and celebration that, that the, the sins of the people had been taken away. And then just about a month and a half later, they're gathering literally all of the Jews that they could find on the planet who are healthy enough to make the trip and bringing them all back home into Jerusalem for another great celebration where they would celebrate one of the ways that God had been good to them and had delivered them, had give, taken them from a place of death and into a place of life. And all of these people gathered to be extra Jewish got to hear a guy who was pretty Jewish, stand up, and, the, and, and Acts chapter 2 tells us that this guy, Peter, was full of God's Holy Spirit when he said this. People had said to him, what should we do about what you just said? He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Do you get what he's saying there? If you've been in the church for a long time, you may have heard that so many times that it just sounds like this formula. You can just say it without even, without even reading it. But do you understand what it says? When, when, when Peter says to this very Jewish crowd, hey, there's something more than ceremony. You can actually experience the life of God coming to live in you, very specifically, the Holy Spirit. From, from that triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all very equally God. God sitting on a throne in heaven. Jesus standing at his right hand in the place of authority, ruling over this universe. They've sent their Holy Spirit, and he will come and live inside of you. How? Repent. Turn around from the direction you've been headed. Turn towards God and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a compelling reason to consider being baptized so that you too might go from having a list of religious ideas, some, some religious values and commitments to the place that the God comes and lives inside of you and transforms you from inside out. Listen, Christianity is the worst religion in the world to dabble in. If all you're going to do is take our beliefs and some of our morals, I, I, I beg of you not to do that to yourself. Either get all the way in or get all the way out because it's a miserable, miserable half religion. But if you will enter all the way in and take the step 
that Jesus taught us, that Jesus exemplified for us, that the Apostle Paul offers to us and explains to us, you will get the chance to experience the coming of God into your person, and that will change you. It will change your experience of religion, of bad religion, of good religion, of irreligious people. It will change fundamentally your experience of this life. God will live in you. God, the God, will live in you. I think it's a compelling reason. All right, Cliff. But, but what, if, what if I just have a problem believing some of that? I mean, I believe some of it. But what if I still have some doubts? Not all of my, my questions have been answered. Don't I have to wait until I can say I, I believe and agree with absolutely all of it before I can get in? The answer is no. Number one, we want honest people in the kingdom of God. Um, would, would it scare you, undermine your faith, to say that your pastor has some questions still? Would it bother you if, if I admitted that from time to time, I have some doubts that creep up on me, and I wrestle with them. I think there are room for some doubters in the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why I believe it. It's right back to Matthew chapter 28 that we've we looked at so many times already this morning. Can you flip uh, back there, Luke? Yeah, look at this. That great commission, it's after the resurrection. Jesus met with them for 40 days. He's going to meet with them one last time time before he leaves the planet, before, before their little waiting period in which they will then one day receive the Holy Spirit that I, I think I just sold to you with great fervor. This is the last thing he's going to say to them. Man, when a guy knows it's his last words, he's going to make them count. Listen to what he says. Uh, Matthew records this, and it's, the, it's that whole great commission thing. But look, the 11 disciples, unfortunately, they're down to 11 at that point, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Listen, the 11. Okay, these are the, these are the folks who actually made it through the whole crucifixion and resurrection weekend. Judas is no more. But it's the 11 who walked with him. It's the 11 who prayed with him. It's the 11 who ate the fish sandwiches that the guy kept making. It's the 11 who watched him raise people from the dead. It's the 11 who... who found his power working through them, and they cast demons out of people and healed people. It's the 11 who were at the oars, rowing against the wind and these steep waves when Jesus walked right up beside them on the water. It's those 11. Listen, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. You mean some? Some of the people who went through all of that with Jesus saw firsthand all of the good stuff, all the big stuff, all the powerful stuff. Drank the water, turned to wine. Watched him pull Lazarus out of the grave and help take the nasty grave clothes. Those people doubted? Yep. The ones Jesus picked doubted. The ones Jesus sent doubted. My friend, there is room for you and your questions and, 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 and the places where your, where your faith is just missing or, or, or broken or tattered or worn or just not grown up yet. 
There's a place for you with your doubts and your questions. Um, Jesus also said that in uh, Matthew chapter 17, if you've got a teeny tiny amount of faith, you know, you know where I'm going with this, right? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it'll do what? Move mountains. Here's what I think he's trying to teach us. Tiny, 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 tiny little bit of faith is bigger than all the doubts. Tiny, tiny little bit of faith outweighs every doubt in the world. Because I've got serious doubts that I can move mountains. And yet, I still have a faith that saves me. Hmm. You, you, you don't have to believe every little thing that I taught about uh, baptism today. You say, I don't know about all that mystical, you know, part of the family. You don't have to, you don't have to believe all of that. But if you can find in you today a hope that these things are true, just enough hope for you to say to Jesus, you know what? I'm going to bet the farm. I'm going to bet my, I'm gonna, my life, all of me. I'm going to bet, I'm just going to bet on you, Jesus, that what you said is true. And you take one step his direction, you will experience saving faith. And for those who have experienced saving faith in the church, we have a fabulous welcome ceremony in which you then get formally inducted into the family of God with great celebration. And I don't know how to explain this to you, but every person that I have ever baptized has experienced God coming close and their hearts filled with a transforming and radiant joy. You've seen it. I just get front row seat on it because I get to pull them up out of the water and you gather around them when we do it down here and you see their backs. I get to see their faces. They experience the coming of God's Holy Spirit and you can too. That's it. That's why you should consider being baptized today. The church is going to keep baptizing because Jesus commanded us to do it, and he gives us this sacred privilege And uh, because we are really into celebrating new family members. How about you? Have, uh, have we missed your birthday party for a bunch of years? Did, did we forget about the baby shower for you? Because you decided not yet, because I don't know enough, or maybe I doubt a little bit. Why don't we do this? If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. It gives, it, it creates a private and, and uh, yeah, a private place for you. It also creates some privacy for the person next to you who may be feeling a whole lot of pressure right now because they, they, they worry about you know, what the church family might think of them. Why, are they, why have they put it off this long? Why are they, why are they just now? I thought they had already. Uh, listen, um, friends, I know if you battle some of that, me simply saying it's not true doesn't necessarily make all the feelings go away. But listen, I, I can promise you this. Every other person in this room would love to celebrate with you your birth into the people of God, even if it took place decades ago. We will celebrate it with you today. No judgments, okay? Maybe you need a little private place right now in which you can listen to the voice of God's Holy Spirit and say, 
I, I, I get what Cliff said. Is, to, is today the day? And why don't you just do this? If you have any sense that the Holy Spirit is saying today, then in just a moment, after I pray, and I, and I ask the question, why don't you just come forward here? And we can either baptize you in, in the tank here. We've got towels. You can go home soggy. Or we can baptize you by pouring. We'll just respect your conscience and how you, how you want to be involved in this. But if God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, why don't you, why don't you say a yes to that? I'm going to leave you with just one more, one more thought. In the, uh, in the book of Acts, the apostle Philip shares this good news with somebody. And this guy, instead of asking the question, well, do I have to be baptized? He looked at it completely differently. He said, what should keep me from being baptized? Here's some water. What should keep me from being baptized? Do you think today you might learn to think about this differently from why should I have to be baptized? To what, what should keep me from being baptized today? Lord, why don't we just, why don't I just stop talking? If you've got something to say to your people, why don't you say it?